only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. It's on page 939 of your Pew Bible. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from God, from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we study his word. O Lord Jesus, reigning in heaven and earth, exalted to the right hand of the Father, we are your church for whom you died. You loved us and gave yourself up for us. This encourages us, Lord. It fills us with hope. We thank you that because we are your body, your church is your body, because we are your body, that you nourish us and cherish us. You have sacrificed yourself for us, and you will give us all good things. Lord, we thank you that you give your spirit abundantly. We thank you that he dwells in us, and he dwells in us individually, but as a church, as a body, we constitute your temple. And so, O Holy Spirit, we... We give ourselves up to your work. Almighty God, that which Jesus said would spring up within us, living water, we thank you for your unlimited capacity to convey the blessings of Christ's work to us. We pray with Paul that Spirit would work, that you would work, Lord, through the Spirit in the inner man, according to the glory of God, according to your unlimited capacity as God, that that spirit would work in us, that we would come to know the boundless love of Christ and be filled up to all the fullness of God. O Lord, set our sights high and reveal to us your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
You know, a great question for any one of us is, what are you basing your whole life upon? And there's no doubt that each one of you here, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, and whatever kind of believer you are, that you have a, an intellectual and we'll say also an emotional construct that makes you, that forms you, that is the basis on which you live your life. There is that intellectual construct that we'd say somewhere, somehow, whatever collection of information you've received from parents or society or writings that has conveyed to you what this world is, who you are, what what this world is going to be in the future, how it concerns you, what you should and shouldn't be, you've got some kind of working construct. Whether it's the Bible or not, you have it. The other interesting thing is that we have what I would call, call kind of an emotional psyche construct by which we respond to things in ways we don't even understand sometimes. Because we, we do things, we respond or we have emotions that sometimes don't even line up with what we think. We don't do the things we think we should, but we do them anyway. And there's a reason we're doing these. It, it's something about who we are at the root of our being. It's something about the collection of things that have happened to us and how they've impacted us and formed us so that that's how we feel about these things. That's how we react to various things in our lives. That's why we hurt people. That's why we respond in the way we do. Now, the amazing, wonderful thing about the revelation of God is that He reveals to us the way things are, and yet His gospel, this revelation of the beauty and glory of God, is at once a transforming gospel. It gives us the way to view the world, but it doesn't just give us an intellectual construct, the view of God. It transforms our lives at the root of our being. And that's why I prayed that prayer from John 7, where Jesus said, Come to me, anyone who is thirsty, and from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's not just changing your thinking. That's changing your being. It's changing what and who you are at the root of your being. And that's why Paul in verses 16 and 17 will say, this is the power of God for salvation. Now, the reason I come at this this way is that these first seven verses are Paul's Basic, he's beginning to introduce himself to the Roman Christians and to give them a reason for listening to him. He's never met them. They've heard about him in various ways. They know of Paul, but they've never met him and they've never heard him. Most of them haven't. And so this is Paul's way to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. This is my message. Let me tell you who I am and what I do. Now, I think it's important for us then to put ourselves in their shoes, so to speak, and receive this letter in that way, at least this beginning part where Paul is introducing himself. And he's giving not only them, but he's challenging every person in this room, what are you going to do with this letter? How are you going to take this man? Who is this man? 
who would define all of life for us, who would present to us a worldview, a view of ourselves and our relationship to God, a picture of the end of the world and beyond. Why should we listen to him? But I also would lay before you, you're listening to somebody already. And so often it's like, well, yeah, prove to me that this is from God and I should base my life on it. You're basing your life on something right now. Everybody is. And that's why I began with that construct, okay? You have a worldview. And if it's not based on the apostles' message, it's based on something else. So this is a worldview time to say he's putting himself forward and I'm putting this forward as the truth from God. And that's the challenge. And so we're going to look at reasons to believe in Paul as he's setting forth in this extensive introduction. Usually introductions go like this. Paul to the Romans, greetings. Okay? That's just a classic introduction. You hear that in Acts 23, 26. Claudius Lysias to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. But this one goes from verse 1 all the way to the end of verse 7. Now, the letter itself is astonishing in its length. Cicero's longest letter is just over 4,000 words. This is 7,000 words. We think of Paul's letter to Philemon as the short one, you know, tucked in the back. It's longer than most letters were for that day. This one is just, would blow their mind. You know, it's like, what in the world, you know? this letter of Paul. So it really breaks the boundaries of a letter and it becomes a laying out of the whole of uh, what Paul is about. And in, in the introduction, it's, not, it's no longer just Paul to the Romans greetings, but he already begins to lay out who he is in terms of the gospel. He can't even talk about himself without talking about the gospel. And he gives us kind of the essence of the gospel right here in the beginning uh, verses of Romans. So it's, it's way bigger than a normal kind of introduction or normal kind of, of greeting as it's beginning to partake of the very uh, theme of the whole of the letter. So we'll look at the reason to believe him is he's a commissioned messenger from God. A reason to believe him is because of the Christ that is in this message. And the reason to believe him is the transforming power of this message. And I'm going to lay that out before you. This is the reason to listen to this. Who he is, what, how he's been set apart by God, what he has to say from God, and how transforming it is in our lives. Well, he begins by describing himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's look first then at the commission of this, this messenger, of Paul himself. Um, this term is the term doulos, bond slave. The Greeks took this word as, uh, they would take this word as repugnant, offensive, revolting to pagans. But it was the regular word in the Old Testament of Moses, the servant of God, David, the servant of God, Joshua, the servant of God. And it's one of honor to the people of God. All of Israel was the servant of God, the doulos of God. And what's so interesting is that 
it is a, it is a word of humility. It's a word of belonging to Him, of, of only doing His will, having no other function than to do the will of Jesus Christ. But it's also regarded as a sign of honor. And what's so interesting is that for the pagans to think of themselves as a doulos of even a god was repugnant. And it's because their gods were so pathetic, you know. It's not an honor to serve these pathetic gods, not a privilege to be the servant of such a god. And so what the, Roman, what the, what the pagans are left with is self-exaltation. There's not enough God to sink your soul into. Not enough God to lift you above the desperate, pedestal-making human circus, vainly trying to claw our way into, significant, into significance. To be called a serpent of such a measly God is revolting because your significance is bound up in personal affirmation, not in the liberating admiration of a breathtaking God. So see, it's, it, you must serve a magnificent God when you can say with, with humility and submission and belonging, but with an honor, I'm the doulos. I'm the doulos of Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing. And it makes him on the same level with everyone else. It makes us all on the same level. You have nothing else, perhaps. You've lost everything. You've failed at everything. You're starting at zero, or as I've thought of myself, way below zero. Even then, you can be called, every one of us, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is the same. A doulos of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it wouldn't be a place of honor if you were demeaned or abused or mistreated by this Lord. No, it's a place of belonging. It's a place he even calls them friends. He even says, I no longer call you doulos, but I call you my friends, even though we call ourselves his doulos. Uh, I call myself his doulos. He has this intimacy, this friendship with us. And what's so amazing about this Lord, we read in Philippians 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it said he had the form of God. Now he's taken the form of a doulos. This Lord that we serve has become our doulos and sacrifice for us. What a place of honor to be a servant of this one how could that be descriptive of God that he became a doulos, took the form of a doulos for us? And so Paul says, I'm a doulos of Christ Jesus. What more glorious thing to be the doulos of one who himself is so great. He became a doulos for you, dying for you, sacrificing himself for you, pouring himself out for you to be a servant of such a glorious self-giving being. And that's why the, the pagans regarded the cross, Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, as foolishness. It's more, it, the, the word is moria. It's the word that we get moron from. This is foolishness, that you would proclaim a Lord who is crucified. But in him we see glory, and it is our honor to serve this, this, this Lord so, Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart from the gospel. 
for the gospel. This word set apart uh, is the word we get for horizon. So the dividing line, it's a boundary line. And so these two words taken together, and they really relate to his being the servant of Christ, the doulos, that he has been uh, called by Jesus Christ himself. Uh, He has been set apart, separated, that he belongs now to this gospel. It's like whatever you were now, this is what you're about. This is who you are. This is your function in this world. And the reason this is so important for us to establish that this messenger is the personal doulos of Christ Jesus. He was called by God to speak to us as a messenger, and he was set apart by God to do this. And so this letter is basically from God to us, and we must receive it as though God himself is speaking to us because he is. It's commissioned It's not his idea, as he said in Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This hasn't come from mankind. This has come straight from the throne of God. Now, you have to decide if you're going to receive it as such. If you reject it as such, then you've got to ask, okay, if this isn't the truth, for, that judges all other truths, by what do I make that judgment? Where is my source for ultimate truth? Where is my source that's going to describe to me what life is, what the future is, who I am? Because this one comes to us as saying, this is from God. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians after he had preached there just weeks before, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And it says that they received it and they began to suffer because of it. If you receive this as the word of God, it changes your life and you pay consequences because you say, It doesn't matter what happens to me. This is from God. It demands a new life. It creates a new life in me. And whatever the consequence is, fine. This is God's Word. So at the outset, brothers and sisters, friends, I would just urge you to ask again, do I believe that this is straight from God? Do I treat it with that kind of honor in my life, in my meditation? Does it have that place of significance that I believe God has spoken from his throne or is it just this Bible that sits around largely in my home? And I come and I hear, kind of hear, kind of listen, kind of don't, I kind of leave and if anybody asked me the next day what was said, I wouldn't be able to tell them because I'm just not that engaged. Those kinds of things are pretty clear indicators That whatever intellectually you may say, if somebody pressed you to the point and you said, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And you say, yeah, I believe it's the Word of God. Like we would say in Alabama. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Word of God. You read the Word of God? You study the Word of God? Does it influence your life? Are you doing what Paul says in in, in Ephesians? Uh, I'm sorry, Colossians, come on. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is it dwelling in you richly? And I don't say that as a guilt thing. I say that 
This is the glorious, it's called good news right here. It's good news. Why would you not let good news that's going to unveil the goodness of God to you and all of His blessings in Christ have the widest influence in your life? We are really self-destructive, aren't we? Myself included. It's not as though this is something that's going to hurt you. you know? It's not as though... It's like broccoli, you know. <laughs> but that's how we treat it, you know. Eat, if, if you hate broccoli, you hate broccoli. You know, now I hate beef liver. That's not my thing, okay. I will stay away from beef liver. I will not order beef liver. If it's on the menu, it will not be chosen. If it's, at the, if it's in a line somewhere, I will not pick it. I stay away from it. I think for many of us, this is like beef liver. It's like broccoli. As little of it as possible. As little of it as possible. But if I have a tub of homemade vanilla bluebell in the freezer, it's terrible. It hardly ever gets to the bowl. (laughs) That's the bad thing is that, and I have this way of, I eat it like I used to when I worked for the uh, drilling firm. We had to take holes down evenly. You know, we had to bring them down like that. That's how I do my ice cream. (laughs) Scrape it. So anytime you open it up, it's just nice and smooth. And it avoids this big glob that's in a bowl that would make me feel guilty, you know. But if it's in there, I can't stop eating it hardly. And that's why I don't buy it, even when it's on sale three for $11, you know. <laughs> it's like scratching around poison ivy, you know. I could get three of them, you know, but I don't need to. But I notice it, you know. I always notice Bluebell's on sale. No. That's what Kay, because she knows me. So I want to ask you, this, this, is, this is the word from a man set apart for the, this gospel a man who is called as, an, as a messenger, apostle, and he's the special servant of Jesus Christ to convey this. This is God's word. Do you treat this like beef liver or bluebell? And it, probably each one of you could give the answer right now and say, the gospel, the good news is, he will change you. He will so save you that you will have the right attitude toward his word. That's the good news. See, the good news is all-encompassing. It leaves nothing. It's a turnkey operation, so to speak, you see. It's not that he says, hey, you should, you should, you should, you should, you better, you better, you better. You don't? That's the way we think of God's word. It mainly comes at us to just tell us all the things that we're not and we don't do, and it just stands there and says... And we just feel guilty all the time. The Word itself transforms you to be a lover of the Word. God's Spirit will transform you so that you'll be like Christ who did treat it like Bluebell. At 12 years old, he stumped all the men who had studied the Bible their whole lives. He knew it inside and out, not just knew it, he loved it and cherished it. And he will make us like himself. Now, he gives us then, this is the, the commission 
uh, of the messenger is a reason for you to listen to this word. And I want to ask you, who else has been commissioned by God that you're listening to? You're basing your life on something. Who, who came from God to give you truth to explain the, the way this world works? Are you following some philosopher, some group of philosophers, some teacher you heard? Some, where'd they get it? So often there's criticism of, is this really the word of God and why should I follow it? And I agree, that's a question you have to ask. But then you have to ask, all right, what is my word of God? I have a word of God. I have something that I'm putting in that place that is the definition for why I should do anything. Don't think you don't, because you do. I'm setting before you that this is what you should take as the word, because it has come from God, from a commissioned messenger of God. And so there's the, uh, the commission of the messenger Here's a, here's a great reason to believe this is because of the Christ of the message. The Christ of the message. And he says that this good news, and Martin Lloyd-Jones spends a lot of time in his uh, work talking about, do you believe this really to be good news? And that's a good challenging question. You know, that, that's a kind of bluebell question. If it's good news, then I should be going after it. But notice it was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Holy Scriptures, the very Word of God, and promised beforehand so that we see that all of the gospel, all of the Word is gospel. Even Christ himself to his disciples, it says he started from the beginning and all the way through he told them, used the Scriptures to teach about himself. And so now Jewish Scriptures are defined as Christian scriptures by Jesus Christ himself, by the Messiah. The Messiah says they're all messianic and I'm the Messiah they're pointing to. I'm the Jewish Messiah. And it's about me that all of this speaks. So if you don't accept the Jewish scriptures, if you don't accept the Old Testament as a message about Christ, the Christian view is you've rejected them completely because that's what they're about. They can't be studied apart from that. They can't be studied separated in, in, in any way. If you don't honor the Son in them, you don't honor the Father. The only God who's revealed Himself in Christ has said that all the Scriptures point to Him as the final and complete revelation of God. And if you reject Him, you reject the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is about Him ultimately. So, it's promised in the Holy Scriptures Concerning his son. So really, gospel is Christ. Gospel is only and everything about it is about Christ, what God has done in Christ. This gospel concerning his son, and we should take son here in uh, probably the sense of his preexistence as the son of God. If you look over to Romans chapter 8, verse 3 you'll see this passage, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's similar to what He says in the book of uh, the letter to the Galatians in chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. The most any uh, commentator 
would tell you that this indicates God sending forth His Son who existed with Him before the world began, and now that Son is going forth to become flesh. And so there's no question about whether or not Paul believed that he was divine, that, that Jesus was divine, that he was God himself. He was God the Son. But the next, when he describes what he is as Messiah, as the God-man, he is dealing with two stages of being God-man. The, you might say the earthly stage and then the heavenly stage of his being God-man, being Messiah. And he describes it in words that, if you're not familiar with the whole of Paul's thinking, a little bit hard to get at. So it says, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, the promise, which we don't have time to go into, but the promise again and again in the Old Testament was that uh, a descendant of David will sit on the throne. The descendant of David will be Messiah. So he is descended from David according to the flesh, then declared, or the better word, far better word, is, was appointed to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And several people, uh, Ritterboss, Voss, uh, Richard Gaffin at Westminster, several commentators, point to uh, excellently the, what is indicated here is not what some have thought that the second phrase in verse 4 was declared to be the Son of God. That is, His resurrection proved that He was the eternal Son of God. We don't think that that's what is indicated, even though past uh, interpretations have said that. Rather, the words flesh and spirit point to two ages, the age of weakness and flesh, the in fact, many times flesh is used as a synonym for the old age or the old world. And spirit is a sign of the new creation and the whole new world that Christ has entered to, into through his resurrection. Now, why this is important for us is that he entered into this world of flesh. He entered into this broken, sinful, weak world as also indicated in chapter 8. And he died in this world. He died a death in which he took the punishment for sin. He took the curse upon himself. And he was raised into a whole new existence. Whole new existence that is marked off by the Spirit himself. Marked off by power and glory. And this new existence ultimately lands him at the right hand of God. There is a man at the right hand of God. He's the God-man. But our humanity, he entered into our humanity, entered into the fullness of the weakness and curse and brokenness of the flesh, and then he entered into a whole new world of the Spirit and power, into a new resurrection existence. And so... Here Paul is setting before us, here's the gospel. He entered this world, and of course he'll enlarge on this. He died for our sins. He was raised again into a new existence, and this is what we proclaim to everyone. You can enter into that new existence yourself one day. 
You can begin to taste that new existence through the Holy Spirit even now and begin to be transformed. But it's he's saying here, and he says it later in Romans and other passages, the world of God's kingdom has broken into this world. It's like a stream of clean, fresh water has broken into this murky, dark, polluted, toxic creek of a world. And it broke in through the work of Jesus Christ. And His resurrection has brought in a new life into the world. And by trusting in Christ, we begin to participate in that new life that has been brought into this world through Him. That is the good news, that He who is descended from David according to the flesh now is Son of God in power. See, Son of God is a sign or a word that refers to Israel as being God's Son. And Paul is saying that Jesus is now, He's the true Son of God, He's the true Israel, He's the new Israel. You, you might recall in Exodus uh, where the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn and let my son go that he may serve me. And later in Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I call my son. And then the, in Second Samuel, as it's talking about the Messiah, it talks about him being his son, his son, his son. He, this son, this true son of God, is the Messiah, the Davidic King. And so the whole new Israel is in Him. He's the new Son of God. It's no longer Israel as God's Son. It is Jesus Christ as God's Son. And He has entered this world and taken any Jew who will trust Him and any Gentile who will trust Him to begin to taste of this new creation, this new creation that we can be a part of, that was introduced through His resurrection. And it is through that resurrection that we then are called and transformed by the power of this message. As he says here in verse 6, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You are called to be saints in verse 7. You are loved by God. And now grace is yours and shalom, peace is yours from this God. That's a whole new world to enter into in terms of a relationship with God, the transforming power of this message is that it brings you into the full uh, relationship of love, constant favor, and constant peace and shalom with God, the God who made you. It redefines your life. It redefines judgment because He has brought us out of the world of death and destruction Even final death one day will be removed from us as we will be raised from the dead. But the curse of of sin and punishment and judgment has been taken away as Christ has resurrected us into a new existence of relationship with the Father. And so at the time of His resurrection, He was appointed Son of God in power in a way that He wasn't when He was on this earth. I'll read to you what Paul says, and this will be the last thing we need to close. In Acts 13.33, Paul is preaching, and he says, uh, He has fulfilled to us the, the promises to the children by raising Jesus, as it is written in Psalm 2, You're my son, today I have begotten you. 
And in Psalm 2, he declares him to be his son and that today I've begotten you. Paul says that was resurrection. At the resurrection, it's it, in a sense, he was begotten as the Messiah, as the Lord of heaven and earth through the resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. Israel was taken to where it never could have been before. The Son of God is now no longer Israel. The Son of God is Messiah at the right hand of God. And all who belong to Him are the people of God, whether Jew or Gentile. And all who belong to Him begin to... And that's why Paul says, if you're in Christ Jesus, new creation. That's the way he puts it. If you're in Christ Jesus, new creation. You've gone from being a part of the old creation under the old powers and judgment, and now you're in this new world already. You're already tasting eternal life. You've already entered into fellowship with God. You already are being transformed, and it will have its final apex and glory at the resurrection when your body and soul are made perfectly like Jesus Christ. You see him on the throne of God, the man on the throne of God, that's your destiny. That's who you will be. Not the divine part of him, but whatever his humanity has become, that was done to bring your humanity to that point. And so Paul lays out the gospel that our glorious Messiah has entered darkness and he's, he's broken that darkness and he's brought light, this glorious, clear, life-giving stream into the dark creek of this world. What are you a part of? Is there any more glorious message than that God himself would send his own son to sacrifice for us to become our doulos in order to bring a whole new way of living into this world? And what's it marked by? It's marked by love. That clear stream of life is a clear stream of people beginning to sacrifice for one another of people of different races, of people of different uh, social standing, people of different nationality, coming together and loving each other and sacrificing for each other and then sacrificing for a world just as Christ has sacrificed for them. That's the new world that Jesus has brought into this old world. And in the end, it's the only world that will be. The stream will finally completely take over. And all sin will be removed. All curse will be gone. And everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, they will inherit the earth. You see, Israel was to inherit the land. All those who belong to the new Son of God, they will inherit the earth. That is a message to believe. That is a message to give your life to. It is a message that has come from God himself. God has created this good news through Jesus Christ, and now God announces this good news through his messenger, Paul. Will you give yourself up to this message? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise your name that the Lord Jesus has accomplished these glorious things for such sinners as we are. Lord, we had our backs turned on you. As Paul goes on to say in this very letter, 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none who seeks God, not even one. We didn't seek you. You not only sought us, but you died for us and then drew us to yourself when we never would have come to you. We would have turned our backs even upon Christ if it had been left to our own choosing, to our own doing, our own hearts. Oh, Lord, you would not... In the best sense of the word, you would not leave us alone. You would not leave us alone. You, you had to have us. You wanted us. You loved us. You drew us to yourself. You've embraced us. And Lord Jesus, you have brought us from death to life. You've delivered us from this present world, as Paul writes to the Galatians. We are delivered into new creation, and we're a part of that new creation because of your resurrection. Lord, we are beginning to taste of heaven itself. And our lives are beginning to even show the glory of Christ. As Paul says, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, these are unbelievable things. These, these, goes off, these go off the charts of our imagination. But we worship you because of it. We want to believe it more fully and live it out in our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us that we will be people of this message, believing it, its, its message taking root in our hearts and governing the very way we live, transforming us and through us, Lord, as we live it out and speak it to transform many, many others. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away